0: Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact.
1: Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Today, we have not only am i joined by chris mayfield my co-host for this interview but we have a great guest brad hovis is here to share his story and how he got into real estate and just all of the different types of deals he has been involved in and so i'm really grateful for him being here thank you chris thank you brad welcome hey thanks for having me
2: chad
0: man this is awesome yeah all right. Well, I'm going to just dive right in because I know Brad's got a wealth of information to, uh, to get unloaded here. And I know people would be blessed by that because he does have a ton of experience, a little bit of background. Uh, I reached out to Brad, um, you know, I was in a, another career in ministry and we had had a, a connection there and saw that he was heavy into real estate and I didn't really have a clue about real estate and reached out to him Man, He threw me on a couple things to read, got me uh, peaked, flew down here, threw me on the phones like within seconds of walking in to his hotel room and uh, which I think is the best way because too many people are just sitting here thinking about what should I do, how should I do, just threw me to the fire. Uh, we did some stuff together and then maybe a year and a half after that I actually worked for him uh, and going after uh, properties. So again got more knowledge uh, understanding everything and uh, I just continue to watch him from a distance and what he's doing, uh, and because of his background, of course, it's always kept me uh, interested. So, um, yeah, give us a, just a quick intro first, Brad, of who you are and what you do. Well, I was wondering if you had mentioned that, uh,
2: you know, going down to Phoenix and and throwing you on the like, I literally we we uh, went down to Phoenix, we ran some marketing, we got some leads uh took my script ran it through with you for 20 minutes maybe the tops maybe and, and then said all right
0: have at it <laughs> the first it was actually the first deal i remember within i'm not joking i think it's five, 10 minutes i was on the phone your cell phone yeah. and you're very comfortable Right? I'm making my first call and you just stick it on mute and you're kind of, co- you're literally standing over me in the hotel room, just kind of whispering some things in my ear. Here's what he's talking about. Here's what he's trying to do. And that ended up being a good lead from you that that you saved for, for later, but it was just put it on mute. Just listen. Here's what we're looking for. Um, and, and that'll find out whether or not we need to pursue this conversation with this gentleman. And that was it, man. And then we, from there, we were there for about 45 minutes and then we jumped in a car and got a couple of realtors to show us around and they had no clue what wholesaling was. And, uh, but we just wanted to look at a few properties and yeah, it was just instant. The
2: fun part of that trip was going up to, I think it's called surprise.
0: Yeah. Is that where all the old people ride around in golf carts? It is one of the spots. It's a little bit further. It's also where the Rangers and the Royals are. Oh, okay, all right. I
2: just thought it was neat. You're we're driving down the road and we're seeing all these retired snowbirds uh, driving around on the golf carts.
0: Yeah, there's more golf cart accidents over there than there are vehicles. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what do you guys? How I got how I got started? No, how, what is your? Give us a quick uh, thirty second bio of who you are and what you're doing right now in real estate. Uh, you know, well, I
2: uh, right now, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things. I uh, own a hotel in the mountains of Colorado. I uh, have a large portfolio across the country, primarily in Memphis, Tennessee. I, uh, I, own, um, I own a part of Freedom Soft. Um, I've been, I work with Rob Swanson, and um, I've owned that for several years now. Uh, I'm a silent guy on that. Rob's a Rob's an absolute stud. He just kind of, he's the, the, though he's got the face of a catcher's mitt. He's a uh, he's the face of uh, freedom songs. So uh, we let him do that. Uh, uh, and I I I coach and teach and speak and just have a good time. Right now, uh, I'm trying to keep my boys playing sports in the middle of a pandemic we're in Colorado and it's like fricking Fort Knox here. So, you know, uh, I haven't seen, they won't let, you know, we, it's basketball season right now. And so they won't let us go see them play. And so I've got a, I, I've got pictures of, of me behind bushes watching soccer games. <laughs> you know? uh, I, I turned into the duck Dynasty guys. I'm painting my face and I'm, I'm getting behind bushes <laughs> to watch, you know, they play soccer. I feel like a criminal, but uh but you know we're putting up with it. They're uh, they're doing good. I mean, it's, it's 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 that's the hard part. The the real estate side is 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 well, I will say the real estate side got gnarly over the last six months across the country. Everything went up. I got my philosophy on why that's the case, but
0: um that's what I've been doing right now. Cool. Well then talk about, kind of, kind of go into it then. So you're in real estate. How did you, had you always been in real estate or how did you get into real estate?
2: No, I was, uh, frankly, I, uh, I was in ministry. Like what's funny is we we have all three been in ministry here. This is, this is a neat mm-hmm. conversation. So I, you know, we we can get into the we can get into the business side of the church. We may not want to do that, but we can get into the business side of ministry and church and raising money and being broke and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> uh, no, I was a, I was a youth pastor um, of a church with a really rough senior pastor situation um, and decided to plant my own church. And once, once that somehow uh, my senior pastor found out I was planting a church. He let me go. And so this is 2008. I'm, 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 I was a broke, uh, youth pastor. Now I'm an unemployed, broke youth pastor. (laughs) Uh, and so I'm trying to plant a church. And at the time, you know, I'm, I'm doing the same thing, you know, raising money, talking to people, um, getting a team together and, and just trying to cast vision at the same time, pay bills. And so, uh, I remember the day I became a real estate investor. I've, I've talked about it on, on other things, but it was November 1st, 2008. And I was, I was planting a church. Oh, in 2008 also. So that was a year I got, I got go. As past as a youth pastor, because the senior pastor didn't want me raising money from the church to plant my own church, didn't want me to quote. And this is like for anybody who's not in the church, the whole term "stealing sheep" or "sheep stealing" what is is a real threat to those in ministry. And so, I you know let me go in January of 2008. Um, we find out we're pregnant a couple months later. Uh, find out a couple months later after that that our baby is really rough shape and is likely not going to make it meeting with doctors who are abortion, really abortion doctors, you know, people who perform abortion on a day, asking they don't use the word abortion when you're in that situation. They use the word terminate. So they continue to ask, do you, do you want to terminate? Do you want to terminate? And uh, we're like, no, we're not going to do that. And um, so it was in, uh, it was in uh, August I was raising money. I was out in at Liberty University. I went to Liberty University. Uh, go Flames. We got up, we got up to uh, 22. <laughs> you uh, did. I mean, we, 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 we crapped the bed a little bit later, but we were up there. We were, we were like, what is happening here? So You
0: guys have been in the news a lot lately from positive and negative. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> hey,
2: hey that, that's Liberty. That's all. Well, that's the whole bet. I mean, that's, the, that, that's, that's, par for the course. So uh, the negative side, you know, the positive side on sports, we're like, yeah, let's do this. But I'm at Liberty university raising money and I just got finished and and for the, for the church. And I just get finished with, um, this meeting super great. They're, they're giving us a thousand dollars a month. And, and and like, that's a good, that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good score for a a guy trying to plan a church with nothing. And, um, my wife has been on bed rest because of our baby and the complications with that. And she's at, at the hospital been there for six weeks and they said, no, 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 it'll be fine. You, you can go out and do whatever. And I'm like, okay, great. I get off there. I'm driving around any of my Liberty university friends. I am driving around the circle. Okay. right in front of the vine center. It's now the, uh, I don't, they, they've done so much construction there, but I, I, uh, I'm on the phone with her, and she goes, "I think my water broke." And I go, "What?" So I'm two thousand miles away. She gives birth to our baby, who has some serious health problems. Uh, I'm trying to get my first flight out of Raleigh to get there. I don't even get there until the morning time, and she was on, she was on her death bed. A couple of times, the baby had been given she had a lot of a lot of issues there. And so that's 2008 for me. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to raise money. The money doesn't kick in until 2009. I'm managing a day's in in the tech center here in Denver. I have no money. November 1st, 2008, I get paid. My wife tells me um, "Hey, we're, that we're going to a wedding that night. And if she can get a dress from Target with a $50 dress, I looked in my bank account. We didn't have any money. And I told her, I said, we, you know, we, we don't have any money. We can't do that. She was very gracious. Oh, I'll find something else. It's no big deal. You know, uh, very nice. And keep in mind, she has just been in the hospital this whole time. We're dealing with a, with a baby who is really struggling, right? And this is one of the first times she gets to, to get out and, and, you know, have a nice time with some friends and whatnot and can't buy this dress. And I, I go in super nice. I just cry like a baby. I go into my office. I'm, I'm, I'm making, you know, 30 grand a year trying to manage this 60 room hotel. And that was the day I became a real estate investor. I said, something's got to change The what people don't know about that story. This is why I'm talking to the, the pastors about this. Maybe, maybe I'll get some counseling. I'm still dealing with, um, <laughs> the very next day, uh, our baby passed away. And so we had to bury her and her name was Molly and uh, pay for the insurance. And all that cause I, didn't, I couldn't pay any of it. And donors came in and, and people people paid for that. And and I just remember November 1st, 2008 was the day I said, something's gotta change. Now, if you remember what was happening in, November, in 2008, Lehman Brothers is going out of business stock market is crashing there's blood in the streets people are losing their their jobs it's very similar to what we're dealing with now um but at the time the thought of like bailouts was not really a, a thing they were talking about it they're trying to get things going and, and bailouts didn't really happen so uh I didn't do my first deal so I started getting educated learning, 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 Podcast, podcast. taking investors, RIA clubs, books, everything, consuming it like I was in seminary. And, um, uh, I didn't do my first deal until August of 2010. So that's how I got in that it was, it was out of pure necessity. It was, and frankly, Chris, this is funny. I came into real estate thinking, boy, if I could just get an extra $2,000 a month, it would change the trajectory it, it would it would make it so that all the stress kind of comes off and make it so much easier all I was all I was in it for was an extra two grand if I could get another two grand a month dude're we're, we're made in the shade
0: so so let me ask you this I know where you're at today in the sense of not like everyday stuff but I know kind of you oh my goodness my phone is going off like I'm a, I thought it' was a I thought there was a drill. I thought you I was were trying to turn it off and I started making an emergency call. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, no emergency here.
2: I thought you're assembling some Ikea furniture or
0: something. <laughs> so what, so here's, here's a question. All that's going on. Right. And I'm in Seattle at that time and we work in communication and praying with you guys. And this, it was just a rough time that everything you guys were going through. What, so you're making this transition into real estate what are other people saying to you when they especially those people are very close around you in context and they know kind of a little bit your situation they know your financial situation they know you can't have any money because you're a fired youth minister who is you know just trying to start a church which means poor to poor and and so what are others saying to you or what are they thinking about you making a decision to go into something that most people would say, you don't have any money. How are you going to get involved in real estate?
2: Man, that's a great, that's a very great insightful question. And if anybody is in that same scenario, listen to what, listen to this answer because I, I think it'll be very helpful. Okay. Um, there's, there's really a couple of parts to it. Number one, Before I started listening to those people, I had to do what I call pull. I I, I pooled my assets. Okay. What do I have? And a lot of people, when they think about assets, they think about it being, you know, what kind of cash, what kind of equity, what kind of credit lines of credit, whatever it might be That, that those are assets. But really what I'm talking about is what is an asset? What is something that can help me get to where I want to go? What do I have? Right. I don't have any money. I don't have any credit. Like when I first got started, I had less than $600 in the bank and less than a 600 credit score. Okay. Because at the end, you know, credit score has more to do with, can you pay your bills? Well, if you can't pay your bills your credit, your credit score goes through the roof. So, or if it's hard for you to pay your bills. Um, so I said, well, what do I have? And what I had was time because uh, ministry is a Nights and weekend type thing, primarily. Um, yes, you've got some sermon prep during the day, and yes, you've got some planning. But like, you're really working on the like Sunday is not a Sunday is not a day off. Like everybody Monday. else has a that's Sunday's, your Monday. Yeah, Sunday is a workday, right, for a pastor. Um, and, and in fact, sometimes it's a it's a you know twelve or fourteen hour workday for you. And so I had time. I had the ability to learn, right? I said, I said you know, we're, this is we're in the information age, right? And this is way before, you know, YouTube kind of really took off and all these podcasts really took off, but, but we were still in the internet age when we could Google stuff and we could get, you know, we could get information. And so I said, I've got time, I can learn, and I've got my big why. And that's probably the most important was the why. Like when you wake up every single day and you look at your wife and your kids and you say, boy, it'd be really nice if we could go out to eat. (laughs) That's not a ministry expense type situation. You know what I mean? Right. where we're not using the church card to to go to Chili's. Um, Those are the kind of things where it's – you know those those three things. I pulled my assets and I found out what I had, and then I also did something which was very important. I pulled my liabilities. Where my what are my liabilities? Well, I don't have any money. I don't have any credit. I don't have so what did I have to do? I had to go find someone to partner with, who my, who who my assets complemented their liabilities and their their assets complemented my liabilities. So the guy I got together with. Brian McLean, great dude. He's now he texted me this morning about a deal, actually. But but he was a software salesman. Okay, so what did he have? He had money. It'll, At the time, I thought he was wealthy. I think he had like twenty five grand in, in the bank. I thought, man, oh my gosh, this guy is loaded, right? <laughs> um, and but he had credit. He had the ability to to take out a loan on a Burr method refinance type thing, and so. His assets complemented my liabilities and my assets, time, learning, hustle, the ability to manage, talk to people, whatever it might be. Because um, at the time, and even now, you get deals by, by being fast. Like you got to be
0: fast to a deal. Um, I lost I, the deal yesterday because I wasn't fast on spots. That was it. That's it. If I would respond to it, it was mine because I personally knew him in Dallas. Yeah. And that was it. I got, I was hung up on something else and I was like, ah, so you're yeah. correct.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a, you know, I just heard a interview from Hulk Hogan. Okay. And Hulk Hogan, there's a story of him passing on the George Foreman grill. Okay. And he goes, No, don't know. I didn't pass on the George Foreman grill. I was, I missed the phone call. I was picking up my kids from school. I came back. There's a message on my phone. I called up my eight. The guy says, Hey, it's either between you or George. By the time that he comes and picks it up, George Foreman already said, yeah, let me do the grill. (laughs) Simple. It could have been the Hulk Hogan grill. Right. Um, So, so he, he's, he's stuck at work running sales calls trying to sell software I'm able to go chase down deals and is a beautiful, uh, partnership. We bought 50, 60 houses together, um, using, uh, hard money or private money, buying it, fixing it up, renting it, refinancing, using the Burr method. Um, and that was a great partnership. Um, so I just, I got real with myself. Um, The second thing I would say, so I did my asset liability analysis. The second thing I would say is I just hustled. It's action and action, you know, uh, money follows action. And so I just, I just went after it, but I treated it like I was in seminary. I was reading books till two, three o'clock in the morning. I mean, I treated it like, I treated it like, yep, I've got my full-time job, but I've also got this thing. Like I got two hustle, I got two things going on. Yeah, I got a job, but I also I mean I treated it I still treat it that
0: way. I was up till well, and and <laughs> you you have something that I think Chad and I would agree. Um, and you have to have to be successful in ministry. And what I mean by successful in ministry is you stick with it, and that is your partner, your bride. And, and I know your bride and so I can feel that situation and she was willing to give high grace and high mercy during the time that you couldn't physically be present because you're trying to do the provisions of the, the job, but then also work towards a future that doesn't look like our current present. So without that, um, there's no, uh, not that, not that a single person can't do it. Um, but I'm just saying you in our stories, had you not with with children and all that had the bride that you had it would have been very difficult well
2: and you're you're making a great point Chris I've and I've said it on other podcasts uh, I've said on my own I've said I've said it for years if it weren't for Haley my wife we would not be anywhere we're at and so frankly you know god forbid we don't ever use this term in our house uh, if we ever divorced if we split 5050 I'd be getting a better deal so um, Cause she's worth it. I mean, she, I told her yesterday, I said, um, this, none of this happens without her. I mean, she takes, she takes, she takes care of the house. She takes care of the kids. She supports me. She's a gigantic cheerleader. I've coached and Chad, I know you do coaching and whatnot. I've coached guys where they've got a, I mean, they've got a, a boat anchor for a, for a wife, uh, for a spouse or whatever. And man, that just makes it really difficult. So,
1: yeah,
0: I introduce really I introduce, like, I introduce us as my wife is the better half, and it's not even a debate. It's like I I, I I'm comfortable in my skin knowing she's a billion times better than me. Yeah,
1: mm. Chad. Oh, I was gonna say I I I think your story is really inspiring, and in case anybody did miss, I think it's really important that a lot of people when they want to get involved in real estate they have a reason they can't, right? They say, I don't have enough time or I don't have the right connections or I don't have money or whatever that I don't have is, right? And and there's plenty of people who have those rationales, but when you talk to people who do very well in real estate, a lot of times they didn't have any of those things going for them, right? It it wasn't a perfect situation um, to start, it was, more a really difficult situation, but there was a defining moment where you said, I, I can't do anything else. I have to do something new and pursue yeah. this route. So I think for anybody listening, if, if you're struggling, thinking I don't have the right connections or I don't have the right credit score, I don't have, fill in the blank, I don't have, um, consider that just a stepping stone, an obstacle to get over for your goals, because anybody who's going to be successful is going to have those obstacles, maybe not day one, but day two, day three, that's part of fighting for success. So um, I no, really appreciate exactly your story. Exactly right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And what I found, Chad, is when um, I would almost tell people, pause and think about your Why? right? Um, if you've got, if you've got a solid, it's the same thing with the diet. There's a reason I'm, you know, Husky. I, I, I wear the Husky jeans. Um, my why is not super motivating. You know what I mean? It's just like, Oh uh, yeah, I probably should. But like my why, when I looked at my wife and my kids and, and what I believe the Lord has, has called men to do, which is pr- provide and protect for their families. Um, that was a divine calling. That was a divine why, and that was a we're gonna
0: get we're gonna get we're gonna get after this thing. So, all right, I want I want to get into something real quick because I know something and I want the people to hear it. So, uh, kind of dovetailing what you're talking about, I remember I'm in Foley, Alabama, which is where the outlets are for Gulf Shores, Alabama. And Mike Taylor, my mentor in ministry, I'm an intern. My wife gets to go with me. We leave OBU for a whole week. In the fall semester to go with our youth workers. And we'd take it from Oklahoma City down to Gulf Shores, Alabama, because our church owned a bus. And we would take our youth workers down there and stay in these beautiful condos, go shopping. But I'm a you know, I'm a poor college intern making $88.92 a week, you know, going to a private school. And I know that I love Sherry. I know I can see that I want to marry her. And I can see that life. And I remember this getting on that church bus after shopping and i probably maybe had a 10 dollar hat you know but all these couples that have been married for multiple years you know they go down there and they're buying polo and all this stuff <laughs> and i asked the firefighter i said tom i really I'm, i i want to be married how do you know like i don't have any money so how do i how can i get married to share me and a couple of other dads laugh too and and he they all you know that again they're all 45 you know kind of our age now and they're looking at each other and they're going Oh, let him have it. Let him have it. He goes, hey, bro, if you're going to wait till you have enough money to get married, you're not ever going to ask Sherry to marry you. And if you're going to wait to have enough money to have kids, you ain't going to ever have kids. And he was a firefighter. And, and so what I learned quickly in ministry and, and the right people in my life is find a way. Just become resourceful. And some people go, well, I'm not resourceful. Look at your circles. Yeah. Find a way. I, I got to do this. Find a way. And so in that vein... Tell us about. I, I hope you'll talk about this deal, but that memorable first deal because I remember you telling me, and I still use it today. Well, I've got. Are you are you talking about the memorable first my wholesale deal or yeah, my yeah the my one home? where you locked your keys in your car? Gotcha. Okay,
2: so. <laughs> th- so the very first deal it came from. Um, it came, I had signed up for some kind of lead gen type thing, like a Z buyer type thing. And basically most of those are really for, you know, realtors trying to get listings and whatnot. Um, they market it that whole set, that they send distressed houses. And, but it, it, you know, sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't, I guess I shouldn't have knocked them, because I did get a deal, but, uh, I meet this guy. He's a disabled veteran, um, served in, Vietnam and and like he retired from uh, from the military. It, uh, Colorado Springs is a, high, a big Air Force. Um, the Air Force Academy is in Colorado Springs, which is only about an hour away from Denver. And so this guy is a disabled veteran. He's getting he's getting his retirement from the um, military. He's also getting some Social Security because he's disabled, and he's got this one little rental property his, his neck is fused. And so he can't move his, he can't move his neck at all. And I go down as a wholesaler and I listened to, I had bought some wholesale class about how to put it under contract and figure it out later and all that kind of stuff. And whether you don't have any money or, you know, doing what, 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 what you can. And so I went down there and negotiated with this guy, looked at this house, put this property under contract. One of the few times I actually gave anybody earnest money, I went to, he wanted me to give him a hundred dollars. So I went to the, to the ATM, pulled out a hundred dollars, which was close to the, to the balance, right? It was, it was like, I wonder if I've got that hundred dollars, you know what I mean? We'll see if the, I'll put the card in, but we'll see if the money comes out. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, Put this thing on a contract and for weeks I am trying to sell this thing. I'm putting it every place I can. I've, I'm, I'm calling every wholesaler I know I'm calling, I'm putting it, um, on I'm putting, I'm trying to sell this contract as much as I possibly can and I keep showing it. It was occupied by, um, a a family, And I kept showing up. I was smart enough to get the tenant's phone number, be able to call them so I can show this house, right? About six or eight times I've shown this thing. And I'm driving back and forth from Denver to Colorado Springs an hour each way, burning up gas, trying to sell this deal. I'm getting fatigued, man. I'm like, I don't know if real estate is for me. I think wholesaling, I don't know if I can wholesale. I don't, this is not working as the book is saying that it's supposed to be working here. So the last guy who wants to see this thing, uh, says, Hey, can I bring my hard money lender with me? I said, sure. Turns out this guy is newer than I, even me. Right. So he just convinced this hard money lender to come to the, to the house to help see if he can get a loan because he wanted to do a fix and flip on it. They go through it. They go through it. They run their numbers. By the, by the way, this time the house is now vacant because I have, I have the tenants have moved out because they are so tired of me showing this house. I keep (laughs) bugging them during family dinner. Right. And uh, they have moved out. This disabled veteran is now relying on me to sell this house because now he's going to take that money and retire and he's done. He, he gets enough, he pays off all his debt, he is finished. Well, this guy goes through and they do the numbers and the hard money lender says, well, I'll give you this amount. And, and the new guy goes, well, I can't make up the difference. So I, I'm, I'm out. i out. Said, okay, we all shake hands. And I'm thinking, I'm I'm gonna have to tell this disabled veteran, I can't do what I said that I'm gonna do, which is a key wholesaling mistake. You need to be able to do what you say you're going to do. And if that means with private money or whole, like or a line or something, you need to, to have some credibility behind your words. Um, I didn't at the time because I was listening to the wrong people. But this hard money lender walks out to his car and locks his keys in his car and calls his wife for his wife to come and, and uh, bring a spare set. So we're all sitting out there. I'm like, I'm from Denver. I don't have anything, anything else to do. I'll sit here and talk to this old guy about, about what he's doing. And we get, get talking and he's, he, he starts telling me about section eight. He goes, Hey, that house would be perfect for a section eight person. You know, that's a, that's a great deal for section eight. And I said, well, yeah, I just don't know anybody who buys section eight. Well, I buy section eight uh, the houses that I, I rent out section eight. I said, well, do you want to buy it? He goes, well, it's, well, it's his deal. I don't, I don't get involved in and the, and the new guy goes, I, I can't do it. So it's whatever. So the guy goes, how much do you want to make? I go, dude, if I can get a thousand bucks, I'd be tickled. Pink. He goes, okay, no problem. We closed, we closed it three days later. So if it weren't for, uh, Donald Airby out of, uh, uh, Colorado Springs, hard money lender down there, um, locking his keys in the car, it's likely I would have tried to figure out something else. Um, mm. besides wholesaling 340 something deals later, I've, I've, I'm still wholesale. So, so if, it weren't, if it weren't for him, I would have said, <laughs> this is for the birds. So I didn't, well, I didn't really, I didn't really make any money because I spent it all on gas going back and forth, but I got the deal done. So. But you had
0: proof and concept, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Regardless of how much you made, you were able to get something under contract. You were able to hustle. You yep. didn't quit and yeah, it's a crazy story that he locks his keys in his car, but at the end of the day, you came out positive. You yep. did what you said you were gonna do for the disabled vet, which is huge. Yep. So now you have a little bit of street cred and you've got already a hard money lender that says, Hey man, if you bring me any other deals like this, I'd be more than open to to purchasing. Yep. So I mean, to me it, it's a story of it's off to the running. So a thousand dollars when you think about the context of your story is like, you know, the equivalent of ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Well, yeah, I mean I've whole, I've I've wholesaled my I've wholesaled
2: hundreds of deals since then, but one of the you, you're mentioning something the like proof of concept. One of the things, and and as I think back about this story, that really kind of helped was I got to see a settlement statement. Think about that, like I got to actually look. Before that, I had bought. I, I don't even think I had bought a house yet. I mean, it was within. I had never even seen what a settlement statement looked like. And so when you, when we're talking to new people, they go, what is a settlement statement? How do you read that thing? Debits on one side credits on another side, buyer side, seller side. And like that made it so that, and I asked questions. I just ask as many questions as if I didn't understand. Listen, if you don't know something, ask, right? Like the, it's the fool who keeps his mouth shut. Right keep asking those questions. Cause now me looking at the settlement statement, I can go, Oh, well I bought it for this. I sold it for this. And I assigned it for this. I did this and this and this. That's why it's one of the things I, I put in my, my training. I, I don't know if you do. I, I actually show my settlement statements. Like this is an assignment. This is a double close. This is a buy and hold. This is, this is what this means, right? Because when you're brand new, you have no idea. Like it's little things like that that keep people from wanting to move forward because they have no idea.
0: So, Well, you say something really perfect, and it's ask questions. I remember after you and I kind of did a little bit, you know, you, you said, hey, I, I really need to focus on Denver. I don't really know as much about Phoenix. You even said, hey, man, I'm sorry. I, I felt like I could just come down and, and duplicate, but I want to be honest with you. But because you're honest with me, it, it, it stuck with me. And then over the next two years, um, I kept asking you questions and you weren't going to benefit from anything that I was asking you about, but I kept asking and I kept asking and, and I would get something out of it. I would get some kind of knowledge or, or understanding, which would allow me to pivot or, or figure something out. And then later it led me to, to working with you guys, uh, uh, again. So I, you're right. If you don't ask it, it, it can be intimidating because everybody, Oh, they're throwing up E-R-R-R, the burr, you know, what's that? Just ask. I mean, That's right. you might think you're stupid, but nobody else does. You're hey, you're a question asker, and and I didn't I didn't have enough. I mean, I didn't have enough pride. I mean, when
2: you're when you're broke, where else are you gonna go? Like, what kind of? It, I think it also. I think it probably also for the season guys has the has the same effect. Like a new person doesn't ask questions because they don't want to look stupid, but the season guy doesn't ask. Questions because he doesn't want to. He 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 thinks everybody thinks he should know better.
0: Exactly. Mm, yeah.
2: Like I uh I'm I I had a listing. Someone asked me about this term that they use. I didn't even I don't even remember what the term was. Like st. I don't even I really don't even know what the term meant. And so I'm sitting there with my with this realtor who has only done four deals in her entire life. And I ask her. I go, well, What does this mean? It was some acronym some buyer was asking about for us. And I go. What, what is this? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> Most people don't know as much. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. He didn't know what it meant. So we asked the buyer, what do you mean by this? And turns out he was trying to be smarter than everybody else. It's like, that's not what you say. Like, that's dumb. I, I don't even remember the context of everything, but that's that's the gist of the story. But ask questions. It's okay to look stupid. That's the way I, that's the way I look at it.
1: Well, You want to be
2: I, wealthy or, or be stupid?
1: So. Yeah. yeah and when you are networking or when you are around other investors I have never thought down on somebody for asking questions yeah when when somebody sits quiet and they don't really benefit from the the group then I kind of question why they came or what are they here for but when somebody's asking questions and trying to figure things out I mean every group I've ever been a part of that's respected and you, yeah. you, you're glad they're, they're asking.
0: So. Well, and everybody around you is wanting probably that same answer, but they're too prideful to, to ask the question. So you, you know, you're not just, I always tell myself, I'm not just helping me. I'm helping. Even the expert I'm asking is, is rethinking their answer. I'm mm-hmm. telling him this answer. Do I really still believe in this? Mm-hmm. Cause he's looking for the right answer. So I, I think it's a positive on, on both sides. Well, questions endear
2: yourself to, to people. Like when you meet someone and, and you know, we know this as pastors, this is why you guys are doing such a great job. You're asking me all these questions. I'm like, man, I love you guys. This is great. Um, But you go to, you go to church, you ask, where are you from? What do you do? You know, all that kind of stuff. It endears, it endears that person to you. And particularly when you're talking to a seasoned real estate investor who knows something you don't know possibly, or even a new person. Like when you ask those questions, it endears them to you. Someone asked me a question. I'd love to explain it to you. If I've got time, I mean, if I've got time and I'm happy to help most, and most people are like that. So. Well,
0: and and every, and every deal it's there. And and the process is trying to find deals, trying to find resources uh, for those deals to, um, and then trying to better your systems, right? All of those, I'm still asking questions. Yeah. Right. And in that process of a seller, man, I don't talk except to ask questions, you know, because I'm trying to build rapport. I, I'm trying to become friends with you because last time I checked, most people don't do business with people if they really don't like the person or have some kind of hesitation. And everybody likes to talk. So just ask questions. Well, that's that Dale Carnegie, how to win friends
2: and influence people. You know, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And so ask more questions, listen, listen, listen. I mean, the script I taught you, the script I've taught, you know, all these people nine, uh, more than two thirds of it is, is just questions except for that intro and except for that upfront contract and except for, um, you know, the, the, the last, the last, uh, post close, everything else is just
0: questions. So. Well, so you do that deal. What then transpires from that to today? What 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 you obviously have done tons of wholesaling, but that's not all you do. How has that changed over over time? I don't I you know wholesaling is a great
2: let's put it this way. Wholesale is a skill. And if you can develop that skill, you can make money in any market at any time, anyway it's a, it's just a skill. If you can talk to someone about their distressed house and and then and then put that under contract, double close it if you have if you have to or even fund it or whatever and then sell it and make some money in between, you can you can make money whenever. So wholesaling is a great skill. And I think it's a it's a good foundational skill for a lot of people, not for everybody. Because now we are about to, so right now, most of the wholesaling is direct to seller, right? Where we've got to get to that seller and negotiate and do that, that kind of thing. Um, put it under contract. There will be a time, just like it was in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, where direct to seller is going to be more difficult. Why? Because nobody has any equity. Instead, we're going to have to learn how to, some people are going to have to learn how to wholesale REOs, short sales. HUDs, that kind of stuff. They're going to have to learn how to, how to get deals using the system. Okay. But if you've got those things, you can make money at any time. And, and still there's, there's, you know, during that time, uh, like we were talking off, off, off of this was, you know, getting direct to, to sellers for creative finance type deals and, and owner finance type, type thing, the owner carry back type stuff. But I think that's an excellent skill and a foundational skill. However, eventually, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. It's hard work to, to wholesale a deal is not, it's simple, but it's not easy. And, and what is easier in my opinion is just holding real estate. You let the market come to you, right? Like when I was buying in 2012 and 13, 14, 15 here in Denver, I'm buying houses for my first rental was I paid 77,000 for it, put 10 grand into it, Brian, my partner, still owned it, and when he bought me out of it uh, in 2015, it was worth 250 thousand. Today, it's worth 350 thousand. So, that house, all he has done is collect rent on it, <laughs> send a, send a maintenance guy every once in a while, um, and make his note payment. Well,
0: here's, here's a good. Here's a good one. Um, We were talking about asking questions. We've thrown out the word a few times, creative financing. If someone's listening to this the first time and and what Chad is creating here is an inspirational educational uh, uh, landing uh, for people to learn, they might say, what does he mean? You know, I used to hear creative financing, creative financing. And I'm like, that must mean the bankers, that must mean they've figured out a way to do interest rate. You know, I'm just, again, I'm a pastor who knows nothing. Creative finance means there's somebody smart that kind of says, here's how we can do it. When in reality, you know, we know what is, right? Creative financing.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, number one, I haven't gone to a bank to do a rental property in six or seven years five, five or six years what creative financing is in 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 essence is dealing with people uh related to either their ability to give you to, to lend private money out of their ira 401k cash whatever or it's taking over someone's situation creatively using lease with an option uh, subject, subject to financing, installment land contracts, contract for deeds, wraps, um, and all of those things are essentially just saying, "Hey, um, you've already secured the financing. All I'm doing, uh, the, the sub twos and lease options. All I'm doing is coming behind you and taking over your responsibility." That's all. That's at the at the end of the day. I'm now becoming responsible for what you did. Now, I'm not becoming legally responsible. I'm just making your payments for you. Um, And uh, doing so, frankly, (laughs) the next wealth, in my opinion, the next transfer of wealth is going to happen over the next seven to eight years, six to eight years, uh, if we see what everyone seems to think that we're going to see is some kind of recession, pullback, depression, you know, uh, distressed, uh, distressed housing. And, and if you can figure out the creative finance side, lease option and some link, and there are great guys out there. Um, Wendy Patton has a book called subject to and lease option, read it, devour it, right. Joe McCall out of St. Louis. Great with his wholesaling lease options. Um, here in Colorado, a guy named Michael Jake, uh has a has a uh subject 2 course that is second to none well second second to mine but um <laughs> is great those are those are those are great people teaching you how to think outside the box it's not about banks it's about solving problems because when someone there will be a lot of people in the next several years who have a 2.5% 30-year fixed rate loan on their primary house that is now a hundred thousand dollars underwater because the government allowed them to put 3.5% down on an FHA loan who can't make that $1,500 payment or whatever it is, whatever it's going to be here in Denver and are, are underwater stuck. Can't do anything about it. Denver. It'll be in Denver. It'll be in Phoenix. It'll be in Vegas. It'll be all over and um stuck they're going to foreclosure. They can't make those payments. And if you can come up and say, Hey, let me make out, make those back payments for you. Cure that loan. Let me start making the payments at the bank. Cause I'm going to have you move out and I'm going to rent it to someone who can afford this. You're just solving problems. And so that's how we did it in 2012. Um, I picked up probably 50, 60 sub twos in 2012, 12 and 13. And, um, those,
0: those turned out very, very well, very
2: well. Cool.
0: Sure. Jack, so got is there,
1: for people who are interested in that, is there a way that you marketed uh, to get in front of those sellers in that situation so that you could, you knew they had that pain point and uh, you could help solve it?
2: So, You have to be careful with your marketing to people in distressed situations, particularly if they've already in the pre-foreclosure phase, there are marketing rules that you got to follow. Um, yeah, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the ninja secret. Are you ready? Uh, one one of them, um, we used to just do straight up, um, postcard post-its. Okay pull a list, uh, NED, so in Colorado, uh, NED means a notice of election demand. They, they are now in the process of foreclosure, which means that they have paid, um, they've not paid for several months and the bank has, has started the foreclosure process. Now, they've got 120 days before it actually, go, minimum 120 days before it goes to auction. But we used to go with these little post-its, I would hire someone, give him an address, and he would literally handwrite with blue ink. Hey, please give me a call, Brad, and my phone number. That's it. Nothing about the house because you can't, because if, if you, 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 you can have problems if you target about their financial issue. So you got to be careful with whatever state you're in from a marketing perspective. Uh, you could be uh, a targeting, you, you could be, you could get yourself into some trouble. But when you're very vague like that, who's not going to call a post-it note that says, Hey, this, Hey, give me a call when you can, Brad.
1: It's awesome. Handwritten, it's that are gonna
0: freak personal. Me out.
2: <laughs> personal, handwritten, Yeah. Um, has nothing to do with whatever. And someone's going to walk up to their door and say, who the heck is this?
1: Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then you get in your sales script. So that that was one way. The other way was just as general marketing for their house, right? What you don't want to do is say, "Hey, I know that you're about to lose your house," and "Hey, I know you're behind on this," because that's that's gonna that's gonna have some mar- you're gonna have some marketing uh, legal issues that way. Um, but that's that's a ninja that's one ninja way. The other way, uh, the door knocking situation. So so that was the lazy way, and I know that sounds lazy, but I hire someone. And I give him a list of a hundred people going through the NEDs. I tell him, I'm going to give you, you know, two, $300, you know, $3 a, a thing. All you got to do is post it on there, take a picture and get out of there. So I know that he posted it. Right. Um, the other way was just straight up door knocking. Like if you, I, I have already, I have always said the guys who door knock can kick my butt all day long. Cause I'm not going to, I, I care more about marketing systems and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get out there and door knock, but I tell you what, you knock on someone's door, just like a guy named Bill Cook. He's an educator um, out of Georgia. You knock on someone's door and you take, a, you know, get away from the door so that there's no, you know, uh, intimidation. Right. Right what's, what's more intimidating, me being back here talking or me being right up in your face, right? Like that, that gets a little freaky, right? So you knock on the door, you step back, you say, Hey, my name is Bill. I'm really, you know, I'm looking to buy houses in this neighborhood. Do you know anybody looking to sell? Now you don't talk about their financial situation, right? Let them bring that up. Yep. But if, if uh, you know the list, boom, that's an easy way. That's, that's low hanging fruit right there. And there will be a day, there will be a day when that is much more, it's still prominent now if you're willing to put the work in, but there'll be a day where on a block, you'll have 30% of them.
0: in trouble. Right. So. Mm. so you've been in a lot of deals, Brad, do you kind of have like a, like a target deal that you prefer? Like kind of, I don't know, your bread and butter that you prefer these days? Bro, you know, you know, you're asking that question because you know.
2: I'm looking for a three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,500-square-foot brick ranch in a B neighborhood in the middle of the block uh, uh, with a basement if I can get it and a two-car garage. That's what I'm looking for.
0: Right. What, what What would be the numbers, though, that would make you intrigued to want to get that house? Ooh, I'm glad you asked that question because I just did a gigantic analysis. Okay? Okay.
2: When people are analyzing deals, they look at, um, you know, rental property. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll say, hey, take 30% off the rent. That's going to be a rent cost. That's going to account for taxes, insurance management, maintenance, vacancy, okay? And then that 70%, that's where you can pay your private lender, principal and interest. um, And then the rest is your cash flow. That's the wrong way to look at it. 30% 30% coming off a of rent for your rent costs is the absolute wrong way to look at it. Here's why. Okay. When you rent a property. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you guys a question. Uh, how much roughly do you think it costs to paint a 1500 square foot house? What do you think it costs to paint that? Roughly. You're not. You're not going to get the answer wrong. I promise you.
1: <laughs> buck fifty to two bucks a square foot, something like buck, that.
2: Buck fifty, two bucks a square foot. So, $2,500, twenty five hundred, three grand, something around there. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what city I'm in. <laughs> Depending on what. City. So two, three grand. Let me ask you a question. Does it change if that house rents for seven hundred dollars a month? No. No. A fifteen hundred square foot house, right? How about if it rents for two thousand a month? Same. No, it doesn't. Doesn't change. Same. It's the same cost because it's the size of the house, right? Same thing with a furnace, same thing with an air conditioner, same thing with flooring, same thing with all of these things. So when you try to take the percentage off of the rent, taxes, insurance, management, maintenance, and vacancy, you're you're using the wrong percentage because if you take 30% off a $700 rent or 30% off a $1,000 rent, right? The maintenance is going to not fit into that percentage Frankly, when we think about taxes, insurance, management, maintenance, and vacancy, all five of those, um, there's only one number in there that is dependent upon what the rent is. It's not taxes. Taxes, they don't care what the rent is for taxes. It's not insurance. Insurance is based on the value of the house. Uh, Management might be, and I'm going to get to that in a second, it's not maintenance because we just said, hey, it's going to cost X amount regardless of whether it rents for $700 or $1,000 or $1,500 or $2,000 or whatever and it's not vacancy because vacancy has has more to do with the utilities and mowing the grass and, and, and handle offset. Mate uh management is the only thing that goes off of the percentage of the, of the rent. Right. However, even that is not right. Why? Because most property managers are going to charge you a lease up fee, an admin fee, a re-up fee. And so they, they get you into the door. I've owned a property management company. They get you into the door, with the 8%, 10%, 12. Oh, we only charge 8%. Oh, that's nice. But you also charge half a month's rent when you lease them up. And then when you keep them in for another year, they charge you another 250 bucks. So I, I'm a proponent of self-managing, but the answer to your question, Chris comes down to, wait a second. What am I going for from a numbers perspective? I did a gigantic analysis over the past um uh, uh, six years of how much maintenance I put into all of my rental properties. I've got over 50, I've got 58 houses now in, in just Memphis. Um, but I did it over the course of here in Colorado, here in Tennessee, the houses I've done in, in San Antonio, the house I've done in, in other markets. And I went and I looked at how much does it cost me on average across my, across my portfolio just for maintenance not for when I buy it and rehab it and get it nice for the tenant. But when they get in there, how much does it cost me? And I gave you, and, and the answer, are you ready for it? I know you're at, on, on the edge of your seats. <laughs> this is some real data that can really help you. It costs me, regardless of the market, regardless of, you know, using primarily my kind of house, a 15, 1,500 square foot, three-bedroom, two-bath brick, brick ranch, uh, with the basement and two-car garage, and a, anyway, it cost me in maintenance on average eighty-three dollars per property per month over the course of six years. Eighty-three dollars per month, regardless of what it rents for, regardless of whether it's in Tennessee or in Colorado, because here's what I have found: um, a painter paints just like chad said it's a dollar fifty two dollars a square foot whether it's in tennessee or in san antonio or in denver the kind of guys we're gonna get we're not talking about the guys with wrap trucks and khaki pants and polo shirts we're not talking we don't hire those guys anyway right (laughs) We're, we're hiring the guys that are doing the work and it's you know it's my my wallet to his wallet you know and so um that's what it, that's what it costs is $83. So for your purposes of analyzing it, you want to, you want to round it up to a hundred dollars a month. So in your, for your question in Tennessee, I'm looking for something that will rent for over a thousand dollars a month. I stopped buying a lot of the houses that were renting for the 700, $800 a month. Okay. And the reason was because of that analysis. Yep. It's true. I'm not going to be replacing furnaces every, every month, but what I can tell you is, if I, if I hold this thing over a period of time, it's going to cost me $83 per property per month. Now one month that might be really small, but the next month I've got four furnaces I got to change out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's, that's the analysis. Okay was not that good? Come on. That was yeah, good, stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. I was hoping to get an amen out of that, but Hey, I guess, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess we're not with, hey, with my eight. You, so. you do bring up a very a good point. People that I have found people that, and I think it's true, uh, that the people that know their numbers are the people that are going to be successful. Yeah. The people that are constantly studying their numbers are going to be the people that are successful because you would say, "Oh, I've incurred I'm, I'm this five dollar a month thing." That you know, yeah. But if you extrapolate that over a year, and then over this many property, that five dollars was huge. Yeah. If you know your numbers, yeah. you know. And so, analyzing and knowing your numbers, dialing right. your systems has led you to, "Hey, I don't buy houses anymore in Memphis that rent for seven, eight hundred dollars. That for years I would have turnkeyed and sold to somebody, or you yourself would have bought." That's right. Now, over some some new analysis over six years worth of investing. Here's why I changed a little bit, and I don't do that anymore. Well, and it's one of the things
2: I've just gotten tired of it. Um, people keep talking about percent. I hate percentages. I think percentages don't need to be in real estate. Like that's fine for for stock and whatnot, but percent. It's it's if I, I'm going to get a T-shirt at one point because it's dollars over percentage. And here's what I mean by that when you first get started, you're going to have some guru, some person say, Hey, a deal is 30, 30%, 30% minus repair. Right. And you're going to go try to go get that deal at 30% minus repair. And I will tell you, anyone listening, if you are able to get a house in certain markets across the country for 30 <laughs> cents minus repair, you call me first. Okay. Because that's a steep, steep deal. That's a hard deal to get. Right. Um, it's the same thing with the, the buy and hold analysis that I just gave you. It's the same thing with cap rate, right? Like I looked at Roofstock yesterday and they're talking about this house. Oh, there's this house at 8.43% cap rate. Okay. We all know that cap rate is a guess, right? Because we're, we're coming out of taxes, insurance management, maintenance, and vacancy. All of those are guesses. In fact, we're guessing at the rent, aren't we? All of the numbers that we're, guessing, that, that we're trying to add into these things to come up with this, this percentage. Oh, I'll do this, I'll do this 10% deal, but I won't do this 9.7% deal, right? Well, <laughs> that 3% is a rounding error. Frankly, a couple of percents are a rounding error. What you ought to look at is how much money are you putting in your pocket? Who cares about the percentage? I have bought houses where on Excel, I'm getting a 30% return. 30%. Oh, my gosh. Cash, net, net, net. I mean, we're talking cap rate, a 30% cap rate. Do you know how much money I was sticking in my pocket? $40 a month. Yeah. <laughs> the percentages don't mean anything, right?
0: <laughs>
2: and so um, that's my problem with the percentage side. Think about cash over percentage.
1: Yeah. I think that's sharp. Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you've done all of this. You, you've obviously bought and sold, you've wholesaled, you've done creative financing. Talk real quick about um, some struggles that you've kind of overcome along this way from making thousand dollars on your first deal to doing a major analysis on 58 properties to learn that you're paying $83 regardless per month per property. What are some struggles that you've overcome on this journey? I think it's more business struggles
2: than real estate struggles. Of course I've fixed and flipped houses where you make, you know, like they say on the, on the, on the advertisement that you see, where you make 50, 70, 80, I've, you know, the highest deal that Brian and I ever did, we made 193,000 on one deal. Of course those happen. Okay. I've also lost money on deals. If you do enough fix and flips, you're going to, you're going to lose money. Um, I met one guy who said, oh, I've never lost money on a fix and flip, on fix and flip deals. So, well, how many have you done? I've been doing it for 15 years and I flipped 20 houses. I'm like, 20 houses is a good quarter for us, right? So, um, but the problem I have had, and I don't know if you guys get it. When I try to turn my real estate, when I've tried to turn my real estate investing into business. And let me explain by that. You can do real estate as a solopreneur. It can be you, a laptop, and a cell phone. And you can have a wonderful, wonderful life making, I mean, for years, I was doing 50 to 60 deals a year just with me and a laptop, okay? Buying, selling, holding, renting, rehabbing. You know, I wound up uh, getting a part-time bookkeeper to kind of help me with with the numbers because I wasn't able, this is when I was using more banks to, to do refinance. I wasn't able to get them the financial reports that I needed in time. I mean, it was taking me forever to get accurate stuff because I don't want to, I didn't want to be fraudulent, I want to be accurate. But once I started trying to scale my business, okay, that's where I ran into a lot of problems when you underestimate it's an income and expense. Um, level. Yep. Okay. It's it's expenses and income. And what happens is when you go from solo to business, where it, now you have employees and you have, like, I'm in my office right now. Um, when you go from, from just you being a solopreneur to being a um, business owner, you underestimate. You're like, yeah, hey, we had our income going this way, but you underestimate what your income is going to do when you bring on uh, employees and have to train them and have to create the systems to train them and all that kind of stuff. And what will happen if you're not careful is your expenses will go higher than your income. And you've got to make sure, because a lot of people think, and I, I just disagree with this. I know, I know uh, business buddies that will say I'm, I'm absolutely dead wrong, but I I think your income needs to determine your payroll. Okay, like what's your income doing to get your payroll? People will hire people thinking that that person will help give them more money. Mm -hmm. Will help. Will help go and earn Mm -hmm. them more income. And it's not the case. Rather, what you should do is get your and and if particularly if you're wholesaling or fixing whatever whatever in the real estate world, get your get your systems and your income to a point where you are just, you're burning it at both ends. You can't keep up with the demand. You've got so many deals that you can't do. Then go hire someone because you've made enough margin to afford what it's going to cost to hire new people. Yeah, My biggest challenges have been in hiring people too soon when my income couldn't afford them. And now I'm just
0: like, what the heck am I doing? Gotcha. That's, been the, that's been my biggest problem. So, so there, we, we got to shut it down now, but obviously we need to schedule you and come back because there's a, a ton more information that you could provide. Um, how, real quick, as we, I'll turn it over to Chad here in a second, but if people wanted to, to, to just find you, yeah. um, you know, learn a little bit more about you, where, where would they go to find you?
2: The best place to go is to uh, my website, reischool.com. And that's where I've got all my courses out there. Uh, you get fourteen. You can get free access to everything, every course, okay. every contract, every everything. Okay. So REI School, you can hear my story. You can hear hear more more of that kind of stuff. That's that's the best place to to get more information, like you're mentioning.
0: Okay. Hey Brad, it's been a it's been a real privilege for me because we we go way back. But I'm actually. Uh, even when you were telling the story about your wife and pregnancy and how that was. And I think about just quickly, my mind went to you and Chad have some, some similarities in even going through those types of things um, in different types of ways, but, but huge amounts of pressure uh, with your brides going through those while doing ministry. So I hope you guys offline get to connect uh, uh, more as well. Um, But uh, yeah, check out Brad. I'm so grateful that you were coming on. So grateful to, to reconnect visually and actually see your face so uh yeah appreciate it all right
1: chad yeah well definitely appreciate having you on brad and uh, all the information you shared a lot of great actionable tips and good insights uh for people and really appreciate your story so look forward to getting to know you better and talking again definitely
2: yeah well thank guys thanks for having me really appreciate it and chris uh you know we're baseball guys i remember one of the one of the times going to Memphis together, buying deals, sitting in an August AAA baseball team, right. both of us just sweating, sweating. and loving it. So, uh, this has been a much more pleasant experience than that. So thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Brad. Enjoyed it. And uh, everybody have a good rest of the day.
0: You guys as well. Thanks, guys.